Before we get into today's episode of One Shining Podcast, want to shout out the ringer.com and all the ringer draft coverage. It is next level, folks. And if you haven't listened to the ringer NBA draft show with KOC and Kyle Mann, go do that now because you can get in depth details about some of the players that your team may be bringing in during this draft. It's always a good time, always a good show. And also Beyond the Arc with KOC, go check that out on FanDuel TV or the Ringer TV feed on Spotify. Now let's get into One Shining Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, it is NBA Draft Week. As you know, if you go to theringer.com and peruse the website, it is everywhere. We're talking about all things NBA Draft. You've learned about things like the eighth pick is cursed. You've learned about KOC's updated mock draft, which continues to get updated as more and more information comes in. And today, we're going to have a guy that's seen all three phases of the NBA experience. He was drafted. He was in the front office as the GM and pre- president of Bat basketball operations. He also managed a guy as an agent who ended up being the number one pick, cough, cough, Derek Rose. His name is BJ Armstrong, and he once upon a time came on the show and told everyone I was a genius. So when you do that, you were invited back. Uh, you have an open invitation forever. Um, BJ is one of the best. He's one of my uh, favorite confidants in the world of basketball. I love calling on him. He's the one that will correct me. He's the one that will call me a fanboy. He's the one that will, you know, get me um, on a straight and narrow path when it comes to basketball conversations, especially surrounding the NBA draft. He has told me that he has abstained from the draft process this year. He has no players specifically involved. So I think we can get more of an objective viewpoint from BJ. So I'm excited to talk to him. He is from Detroit, a big Detroit Pistons guy deep down despite playing for the Bulls. I know that may be a little bit confusing. So if you hear him saying things like, what up, doe?" and yelling Detroit basketball, that's because he's a, uh, a Pistons fan deep down. Uh, we love Trey Weaver, the GM of the Pistons on the show. But we're going to get into all the deluge of what's going into the draft. We'll talk about Victor Wimbenyama. We'll talk about what Charlotte's going to do with the number two pick. Will it be Scoot? Will it be Brandon Miller? All of that stuff coming up with BJ. Also, Kyle is still in New York. So if you're wondering why he's not chiming in, why he's not telling us stories about Rosillo, he has no microphone. So he is uh, he is basically either hungover or he is being honest and has no microphone and uh, does not want to talk on the show today. But he is here. He is present. You can feel his energy in the room. Um, shout out to Kyle. Shout out to all the hard work he's doing out there in New York. And then next week we will be back in person. It'll feel like the normal OSP show. So I'm excited about that. But again, we got a jam-packed show. Myself, BJ Armstrong, NBA draft preview. Going to be a good one. And Kyle, you do have a task cam at least in front of you, so it might not be mic quality. But uh, Kyle, is there anything else the, before we need to get into the show that you want to say? Um, obviously not all mic, but I appreciate you having something there. What, what What's going on in the world of Kyle before we get into this? 
I'm flying back to L.A. today, and I got a lot of questionable expense reports to explain. But first, <laughs> Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Welcome back into One Shining Podcast. I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and he is officially a friend of the program, and we have brought him back for the second time. He is someone that I always enjoy talking basketball with and Star Wars and whatever else comes to mind. He is the great BJ Armstrong. BJ, great to see you. You got your Uh, apron on. You're in the kitchen. I'm in the the kitchen right now (laughs) cooking, Tate. And Chef Armstrong. I love – to cook i love to i love to to, to barbecue that's what i love to do mm. and so i'm out today i'm cooking some dino ribs this is about Oof. this is going to be about a dino beef ribs this is probably going to be about anywhere it's, it's, it could be up to like a, a, a eight hour cook depending on letting <laughs> it rest and all of the things yeah, the preparation yeah. so you know I, i'm going to take this morning with my guy Tate, but other than that, I'm shutting my phone off. I'm about to get in the cook, get in the kitchen, let it cook, let it rest, and uh, see how this thing turns out this evening. Yeah, is this a Detroit thing, by the way, or are ribs big in Detroit, or is this yeah, like something that you picked it, up along the way? You're like, I got to be a know, grill master. I, I, it's come. I don't know where it came from, but I have a love for food, as you know, mm. Tate. I love food. I don't like food. I love food, <laughs> and. Now I love food so much that I want it prepared a certain way. So I figured if I'm going to love food as much as I love food, I better learn how to cook. Mm. So now, Tate, I just cook everything. But I do it. I, I love the fire. Something about that fire, being outdoors, controlling that fire. <laughs> I don't use gas. Nothing wrong with gas cooking. But, you know, the the wood, the charcoal, Get your fingers dirty. You you get a nice piece of you know right. meat or fish, it's a whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, just get, you do yeah, just making things happen. So you know, springtime. It's my time now. It's my time. It's it's my time. <laughs> so this is what I do. You know, what I get up in the morning, get my grill, get my workout in, and then I just get to cooking. You know what mm. I mean? That's that's what I do. You know what I mean? I, I I love to I love to cook. I love it. So I'm excited about this one because it's going to be like six to eight hours. Let this thing smoke. Take your time, cut your phone off, you mm. know, play a lot of video games, Angry Birds, you know, that's my go-to, you know. <laughs> and then I, I just shut everything out. And then, you know, then you see people eat and then you go, how did it turn out? So it's it's a good thing. Yeah, it, uh, it kind of reminds me to make a little uh, analogy correlation. It reminds me of our guy Joker because uh, he was cooking up. He was present. He was playing games right. on his phone. And uh, I haven't talked to you since that happened. We're going to talk about the NBA draft. I okay. want to get into some of that stuff. But first, I just want to talk about Nikola Jokic because he took the world by storm. You love the bigs. Even though you are a guard, yes. you are the guard guru. You love the bigs. And probably since about 2020, you've been telling me about Nikola Jokic. You kept saying that Denver, you know, the, the clock is ticking on them. They're, eventually, they're right. going to get over the hump. Eventually, they're going to be there. They're going to be that team at the end. They did it. They swept the Lakers on their way to doing it. And uh, just your your takeaway from Nikola Jokic. Now they're saying he's the best player in the world. I still think Giannis is going to have something to say about that at some right. point. But just just seeing Joker do that, just seeing that whole experience, what was that like for you? Well, you know, the, the, the big fella Tate is he's an interesting player. All right. He's very interesting because he is the one big, you know, that you and I have said for years now. And, you know, I'll say it again here uh, with you. 
the bigs, the five position was going to be the last position that learned how to play in this small ball era. And they were devalued. The center position has been devalued because now we're playing five out offense. We're mm-hmm. playing the game with pace and space. It's similar to football, right? Like the running back position is the center position. It's very similar. Like we don't have to pay these guys. You can find them a dime right. a dozen and we're not going to focus on them. We're going to focus on throwing the football, right? It's very similar well, in that it, sense. it has been. However, even though it was devalued, it was still necessary mm-hmm. because the only way that you can play defense or what we've learned over, you know, all these years over this decade, because the Warriors have really been the team over the last decade, the most dominant team is that if you're going to defend the the perimeter, you have to have a shot blocker, a rim protector. Mm-hmm. So even though they were devalued on the offensive end, they still held value on the defensive end, especially in the game and in, in when we got to the playoffs, because we all say in the playoffs, the game does what? It slows down, right? The game is going to get organized. It's going to slow down. It's going to be a little bit more physical. Well, Nine times out of 10, the biggest guy on the court is probably going to dominate the paint. And that's going to be the center position. So that never changed. However, the emphasis on offensive play and the pace in which we play changed. And the three-point shot. Okay. Now what we're seeing is guys now, players, coaches, they're figuring out how to defend the perimeter. Okay. Now they're game planning versus perimeter. And now we're looking for open space on the floor. They can't go any further back unless they start shooting past half court, which Damian Lillard and these guys are almost doing. Well, they're really Mm -hmm. doing it. They're shooting now beyond half court or, you know, somewhere near there. So where's the open space on the floor? Oh, I know where. I know where it's at. It's on the low post. (laughs) That's where it's at now. That's the only place where we're not running offense. All right. We're not running offense there and we're not playing post defense anymore because everyone's running around playing motion five out offense. Joker has figured out how to blend it all together. He's been the first one. He doesn't settle as a stretch five. He doesn't settle when you switch on him. He utilizes his size and strength to take advantage of every matchup that you do on the defensive end. And he's skilled enough to not only play in transition, but he can play on the perimeter and he can play and pass from the post, which gives him a very unique perspective because he's probably the only player right now. I mean, there, you know, Joe Embi can do it, but he doesn't do it as consistent as Joker does it. Joker punishes you. Joker is the guy that us little guys all want to be. We wanted to be a big guy and take advantage of every mismatch that we can just by being big. He doesn't have to do a crossover or step back. He's just like, oh, I got this little guy. I'm just going to punish him. Yeah, he turns his back and takes him right down to the post and then shoots a little jump hook over him and and says, thank you so much. He doesn't play around with it. He's very efficient. And he has this ability that is just like a super ability. He can pass the ball, okay? Mm -hmm. And when you pass the ball, now you're not only playing against him, which is one person, you're playing against the other four because he can hit and pass to any of his teammates at any given time. And he does it at a very efficient rate. And he is, he's right now, if he's not the best player right now, he is certainly right up there, right? You could talk about, talking about on both sides of the ball and you can make these arguments. But offensively, Tate, he is without question an elite, elite player. And he displayed it here in the playoffs this year. 
And we've seen, you know, like you said, the the formula has always kind of been the same. Even in 2020, you talk about the rim protection. You have Dwight Howard. You have Anthony Davis. 2021, you have Brooke Lopez. You have Giannis Antetokounmpo. 2022, you have Kevon Looney. You have Andrew Wiggins, right? Guys that are, you know, the, mm-hmm. the ver- verticality and the threat there around the rim. And then this year we saw it with Joker and we saw it with, of course, Aaron Gordon. So these two guys were, were the ones that were there to do right. the rim protection in general. And I think you made a great point. He doesn't play with this food. If he has a smaller guy on him, he takes him down to the block and scores. If he gets an open three, he, he will take it if he has to, but he doesn't settle for it. I think that's probably been the biggest knock on Embiid. That's what Barkley goes crazy about because he's like, you got the switch you wanted. Now use your size to your advantage. Just don't settle for the shot. That, that's always been the argument. But Yoki just figured it out. It's fun to watch. I was excited for him. I was excited for Mike Malone. He was uh, you know, right. on a tear during, uh, you know, Brendan Malone, obviously his dad, going back to the bad boy Pistons. So that was cool to see kind of that full circle moment. It was great for the city of Denver. I think it's great for the NBA. Um, but I heard a report that Giannis was actually watching the finals while he was in the gym. Like he had the game on and he was in the gym. And I think now just forecasting ahead before we get into the draft and we talk about women, Yam and all these guys, I think there is a great stage that has been set right now with Jokic, obviously, and with Giannis. And I think there is a collision course where these two guys, these, you know, these big guys who can play the right way, mm-hmm. who can dominate a game. And we saw Giannis get a 50 points in a finals game. We saw Jokic set so many records, we lost track of it. Um, you compared him to young Sabonis, right? That That's who he is, Arvita Sabonis. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people have started to make that connection as well. So how excited are we as NBA fans, basketball fans, that yes, they aren't American. Yes, we don't get to market them with Nike and all this sort of stuff like we've done in the past. But we have a situation where these are two giants and it seems like they're on a collision course. And, and not to mention, we got the Lucas of the world, right? There's other talent around it. But it does right. feel like Jokic versus Giannis feels inevitable. Am I am I crazy to feel that way? Well, what you're seeing. No, you're you're not crazy. First of all, take, you're not crazy. Um, <laughs> I think you're seeing it. You're You're seeing the game and the fundamentals of the game come to the forefront. Right. Now, you know, we put so much emphasis here in in America, in the United States, on what I call the the externals of the game, right? Guy's vertical, vertical jump, his handle, his crossover, mm-hmm. his fadeaway, mm-hmm. his and step all back. Of the step yeah. back, and all those things, right? <laughs> what, what, I mean... This guy has a wicked in and out, you know, you, you know what I mean? He's in his bag. You know, all the things, all the things you, you, you young people say, right? And it's great. Okay. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. You just laugh at it. as you Yeah, I, I do laugh at it because it doesn't really matter. This is professional basketball, but it sounds good. Now it's now it's up in the NBA and the professional mm-hmm. lingo. However, the fascinating thing watching the rest of the world Right. And that's the advantage that I get a chance to do and see from my advantage point in, 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 in my current position here, um, you know, at Wasserman is I get a chance to watch the world. And the thing the rest of the world has figured out. There is a counter to athleticism. It's called fundamentals. The fundamentals of the game. Never change. Now, when you talk about Jokic. When you talk about Giannis, okay, when you talk about Luka Doncic, when you talk about Joel Embiid, Shea Alexander, Laurie Marketing, and all of these players who are foreign-born players. Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray. The list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. 
Victor Wimbenyama, who's coming in the draft. When you start talking about these players, they may not be the elite athlete, the LeBron James, the, you know, all of these Vince Carters and all of these. They may not be that level of athlete. However, their fundamental base is far superior. And now you're watching Jokic, who, take you know what I call him. I say he's the most charming player <laughs> I've ever seen. I mean, he doesn't run fast, doesn't jump high. But there's something about him where he is elite versus better athletes. Okay? He just makes the right play over and over and over again. I, I'm watching him run the fast break, and I'm going... Why is he moving at 35 miles an hour? Everyone else is moving at 60 miles an hour, and he's still getting around those guys as if they're standing still. I don't understand it, but I do understand it because fundamentally speaking, he is just a superior player. He's superior. Not a superior athlete. He's a superior player. Now, fundamentally speaking, these players now are superior. That's, a, that, that's, that's just what it is. Four out of the top five guys on all NBA were foreign board players. Joel Embiid, okay. You had uh, Luca, you had Giannis, Shea. and then you had uh, Shea Alexander. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then there was Jason Tatum. So four out of the five players this year that were all NBA on the first team were foreign born players. And the MVP, again, was the guy that was on the second team, Jokic who we know right now we're all saying he could be the best player right now in the NBA. He can make his argument, okay? So now, Tate, we're seeing a transition in the game where if you don't have the fundamentals of the game, now, if you have the fundamentals of the game along with the athleticism, now you're looking like a Jordan. Oh, is that why he was considered the great? Yeah, because fundamentally speaking, he was... Coming from North Carolina in that era with the late, great Dean Smith, there was one thing you were going to know about uh, a North Carolina player. They were going to be fundamentally <laughs> well-rehearsed in the, mm-hmm. in, the, in the game of basketball. And then if you add the athleticism and the speed and quickness and determination and all the other intangibles, now you, cert- now you certainly have a, a super, super human player. And that's very rare that all those things come together. However, we saw it come together. So young kids who are listening here, young coaches, let's get back to the fundamentals of the game because now we're seeing the rest of the world in the global game. They've caught up. And in some regards, they've passed us down because they are playing the game at a much higher level. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
And now we have the number one pick, Victor Wimbanyama, who you've seen up close and personal. The last time you came on the show, we talked about why he's different, why he's unique. You talked about how the fact that, you know, we don't necessarily need to see him playing the five, banging in the post from day one. There's been a lot of conversations about the Spurs wanting to find, you know, a center, um, whether it be Zach Collins, who they already have on the roster. But Victor, I wanted to talk about him and just being the number one pick because I saw an interview that he did the other day with J.J. Redick and Tommy right. Alter. Shout out to those two guys. But he talked about enlightenment and he had a very mature outlook to be 19 years old. Um, he has a few of the qualities that you've always pointed to me as the the sort of qualities that take you from a star to a superstar. One of them is hand size. He throws out the first pitch last night at Yankee Stadium. Wasn't the greatest first pitch, but he, there was a picture of him holding the baseball. And if you just look at hand size all time in the NBA, Boban has the biggest hands at 10.75, Shaquille at 10.25, Giannis 9.85, Jordan's 9.75, and Kawhi's 9.75. They have the same size hands. But Victor has bigger hands than Michael Jordan, bigger than Kawhi. Um, he also shoots 83% from the free throw line, which I think is incredible. Shoots the ball really well from the three-point line as well. So you add all that in, you add in this mindset, you add in the fact that he's going to a place. Um, when I when I asked you about free agency once upon a time, you said a lot of these players are looking for the secret, right? They're trying to find what it is to win, right? That's why they're going to different teams. That's what they're right. searching for. Victor's going to a place where seemingly with Greg Popovich, with R.C. Buford, with the help of Tony Parker, you know, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, they know something in San Antonio. So he's going to a place where the secret is there. So all signs point to we have a generational talent and potential player on our hands coming to the NBA. And I know that there's a lot of hype surrounding Victor Wimbanyama, but you also have a situation where he is learning from some of the greats. And there was a picture I saw of Derek Rose, who obviously you represent, right. uh, Joe Kim Noah. Um, how much you know knowledge is this kid soaking in and how excited are we as basketball fans to see what this leads to? Because... I'm not sure I've ever seen someone so mentally prepared and physically prepared for what's ahead in the NBA. Well, Tate, you know, there is a shift in the game. It's It's been happening for quite some time. And, and I first noticed it about 15 years ago. That's when I first started seeing it because you're seeing the influx of the world on the NBA game. Well, more or less, it was the best players were all from here in America, the best mm -hmm. players. That's why we dominated when you go yeah. to any yeah. international and then when you would competition. play in, in, yeah. in the Olympics and international play, and when our pros, our professionals started playing, we just dominated. It, was, it wasn't even close. It was, okay, how many points are we going to win by, right? Mm -hmm. You saw it started in 92, then the Redeem Team, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> okay, Dream Team, Redeem Team, what all these, they gave them <laughs> those names. But clearly they were the, they were the best players. What you're seeing now, Tate, is, first of all, the intimidation is not there. These younger players now have played so, they've played so much international basketball against supposedly the best players in the world that now they understand how to play. And the NBA game, the rules change. Once they change the rules, Tate, and they took away hand checking, it took away the NBA game. Well, you're young, but it took away the NBA game because it was clearly the most physical game on the planet. It was clearly the most unique game on the planet. Once they took away hand checking, you started seeing the game change. And then it brought about the finesse part of the game, 
Mm-hmm. But more importantly, it put an emphasis on the fundamentals of the game. Which is got why guys like Steve Nash could win two time MVP. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it. I, I'm not into that soft. I'm just saying the game needed to be cleaned up. Like, like take when I watch old tapes of like the 80s and the 90s, and I go, I, I was a Bucks 80 soaking wet. I have no <laughs> idea how I survived that. But that was all I knew. When you went to the basket, you knew Charles Barkley and Shaq and these guys were going to hit you, and you just took the hit. And you went on about your business. And then you look at some of the files, you go, man, that guy could have seriously gotten hurt. And some players really did get hurt. So, you know, the game needed to be cleaned up because the the athletes were getting bigger, stronger, and faster. And it was just a matter of time before something was going to really, really happen because there was some, there was, the game was real physical. It was too physical, even in my opinion. However, now the game now, once they took the hand checking out, the game shifted. Suddenly now, the more skilled player, the more fundamentally sound player was going to take off in the league. And you saw that with Steph Curry. You saw that with Steph. Steph Curry, to me, he was like the ship because it put an emphasis on that type of player, right? A more fundamentally sound player he was mature, not only on the court, off the court, and he was ready that he was the right player in the right situation at the right time. Okay? He came along at just at the right time. Now, I think he would have been a great player in any era. However, with the rules as they are today, he's the perfect player. Okay? And you started seeing that with Steve Nash, for instance. Because Steve mm-hmm. Nash played in both. When he first came in the league, he played, there was hand checking, and then you know, years later, they took away the hand checking, and all of a sudden, you started to see Dirk Nowinski. You started to see these players. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of time before now they are the, the best players. The best players in the league now are the foreign-born players. That's just what it, the best, certainly the best young players. So Victor comes in with just, you know, it, it's already, the, the path has been paved, right? Now you just yes. walk down the yellow brick road. And as long as you don't get off, as long as you don't d- deviate from the path, he's on a path to be one yes. of the greats. Victor, now, Victor has all of the, you know, when I, when I first saw him, I said, okay, he has all of the qualities you're looking for. He has size. Okay. He's, he's, he has length. He'll be seven. He's going to be seven, five at 35 years of age. Okay. He has all of the length and size. He's got hands. Now, you say, well, he's not big enough. He's not strong enough. Okay, but the game is not, you know, all right. He plays Jokic, what, five times a year? He'll play against Joy Embiid a couple times a year. He'll be okay. He'll figure it out. And we know that the game is a positionless game. Like, Jokic rebounds the ball. He dribbles it up. Is he a point yeah. guard? Is he a, <laughs> is he a power forward? Is, you know what I mean? Now, one thing Tate, I, I will say here, which helped me because to me, the core of this business that we're in, we call professional basketball, is evaluation of talent. Talent evaluation to me will always be at the forefront. Now we can we can get distracted by saying, you know, and now it's analytics. And now we're in the analytic era. And then at one point it was we all had to have a point guard. And at one point in time, we all had to have a five-man who could post. And then Jordan era came in and then we had to have twos and threes and all those things. Now we're in the era, Tate, where here's the following. And I first started picking up on this with Manu Ginobili. This is when I first started doing it because 
if there's one thing that I, even whatever my job is, I always want to be able to identify the great player in any given era. Because you got to take advantage of the rules, the game, the coaches, how the players, the athletes. But there's one thing now that stands out. And Manu Ginobili is the one who taught me this. It's the hybrid player. At one point, we would say, he's the, he's the best shooter in the draft. He's the best rebounder in the draft. He's the best scorer in the draft. He's the best defensive player in the draft. We were specializing in the best of. Now, Tate, the best player is the hybrid player. He can defend at a high level. He can score at a high level. He can pass at a high level. He can play off the ball. He can play on the ball. He can rebound. So the the guy who can do all of these things at any given moment can make the proper adjustments during the course of the games that the specialized player can't do. So Jokic, to me, is the, he's the benchmark now of the ultimate hybrid player because, yeah, he's not the best rebounder, but he can rebound at a very high level. You saw him get over 20 rebounds in the finals. He can pass at an elite level. He can score from the post at an elite level. He can pick and pop at elite level. He can pick and roll at an elite level. He can rebound and push the ball out and play fast when he needs to. And guess what he can do? He can, when the game slows down, he can play half-court basketball at an elite level. He is the ultimate hybrid player. It's basically like an elite utility player. That is the number one thing. And now when I think of Victor, I go, hmm, now the ultimate Swiss knife is the one that you want to have. Okay, and and I've been watching this. So Steph Curry is not just a point guard. Mm -hmm. He can do it at an elite level when he needs to. He can score at an elite level when he needs to. He can facilitate when he needs to. Okay, he can do all of these things during the course of the game, which no matter what the coach does on the other end to make an adjustment, he can adjust on the fly. So the hybrid player, in my opinion, as I'm evaluating these players, that's the ultimate player now. Not the best player, but the guy who can make adjustment. He goes, oh, the game is slowing down. Knowing for five or seven minutes, Joker does it the best. Oh, you want to play fast? <laughs> Perfect. You want to double team me? Perfect. You want to say, make me into a score? Perfect. I mean, think about this, Tate. When is the last time we've seen in the NBA Finals a coach like Coach Spolster did? First, he made him into a passer. Then he made him into a score. Then he took away the role, and then he did. Then he popped out. Then he took away the pop out. They pre-rotated, and they did. He just kept adjusting to the game. How many players you know could do that on the fly in the NBA Finals? Mm-hmm. Th- th- so. I was like, that's it. Just like Steph Curry. That's it. And if you can't do that in today's game, it's impossible for you to be an elite player and affect the bottom line, right? If you want to really affect the game. So the hybrid player like this kid, Victor Wimbenyama, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to challenge Coach Popovich's ability 
to coach this type of player because in the first quarter, he could be a scorer. But in the second quarter, he could be the decoy. In the, in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, he could be the elite rim protector. And he can have an effect on winning that is far superior than any other player because he could be at elite at so many different things. I think it's going to be difficult to play against him once he figures out the personnel of the NBA because he's got to go through it, right? There's no preparation for this other than to go through it. But you talk about a player who we could look at and go, wow. Like, he could not score a point and be the best player on the floor. And then when I started to think about these great players of the past, I thought, I started to think, I was like, that's what Magic Johnson was. <laughs> Magic could play from the post if he wanted to. He could play the point guard if he wanted to. He could rebound if he wanted to. He could score if he wanted to. That's what Jordan was. That's what Bird was. That's what these players, they were kind of the preview or, or prelude, if you will, to what these players are. Because the great players now, it requires you to be that if you're going to be considered an elite player in today's game. And I remember one time we were talking to Derek and Derek Rose said, the one thing that all these players are looking for is freedom. And now that they have the freedom, like Jokic has the freedom to say, I'm going to get this rebound and I'm going to start the break myself. You know what I mean? Because he, he's earned that ability to do that. And he's shown that he has that elite ability to do that. And with women, Yama, you know, we're everyone's talking about, you know, the best prospects since LeBron. I think the best thing that he could do is try to mirror what Tim Duncan did at some level. And I know that you and I have a great affinity for Tim Duncan, but Tim Duncan was the number one option, the number two option, the number three option, the number four option, number five option. In fact, he ended up being like a, almost like a six man at some level by the end of his career. But he always had an impact on the bottom line. No matter which which role he was in, he had an impact on the bottom line. And if you're Victor Wimanyama, that might be something that could be his greatest knack, his greatest skill, whatever you want to call it. If he could be in that same Duncan mold where he doesn't have to score 45 points to, to impact the bottom line. He could have nine steals and 10 blocks. You know what I mean? And that affects the bottom right. line. I think that is the unique ability of what he could be as an NBA player. Well, when you talk about the bottom line, okay? When you talk about the results and we're just going to say, what's his impact to Tim Duncan? You're going to say, Tim Duncan got to the final six times and he won five. And he was one shot away from it being six, six for six, all. just like Michael okay. Jordan. Okay. Yeah. Tim Duncan, is, without question to me, is one of the most under, I, I, I think he's not talked about it. I think he's underrated, if you can even say that, right? I feel even, it's ridiculous even saying that. I mean, he's won the most games, I think, ever in the history of the NBA in his time period. I don't think anyone's won more games in that time period than Tim Duncan. However, when you talk, talk, when you start talking about the greatest players of all time, we don't put his name in there. And he is, without question, he's there because of his impact of winning. Without question, all right? Against all of the greatest players. Because he could play in any era and he could affect the game in any era. And at any given moment, you could say, you know, you put him against those old Celtic teams. Well, he could play against Bill Russell. Mm -hmm. Tim Duncan could play against Bill Russell. He could play against Kareem. He could play against Wilt. He could play against the late, great Moses Malone. He could play against Jordan. He could play against Shaq. He could play against LeBron. Elijah Wan, Elijah whoever it is. He could yep. play against all of them, okay? And given the teams and the construction of the teams, he could beat the ball too, right? And he, But he could, he could accomplish something against all of those players. 
this kid, Victor, okay, it's going to take him time to figure this out. And the reason I say it's going to take time, because we don't really know what to do with him. Is he the starting three? Is he the starting four? Is he the starting five? It's, it's similar to Mobley, right? When Mobley came out to the Cavs, it was kind of like, this guy can play the three. Is he the five, though? But we already have Jared Allen, but it's nice that he can play the three, and then they had Kevin Love at the four. But yeah, like you said, it's a fascinating conundrum. Where does he start? Yeah, I, that to, to me, with him, with him, Victor, again, I don't know anything. I'm just watching. <laughs> I think it's going to take about three or four years to figure it out. And the reason being is because he's going to have to settle into a position. You know, he's going to have to settle in and say, not that he has to stick or stay in that position, but he's going to have to settle in. It's like figure out the responsibilities and the roles of that position and the matchups every single night and things like that. It's it's like watching like mobile. It's like watching Mobley right now to a lesser degree. So Mobley started his career as a rookie, as a small forward. Mm-hmm. Then this year, he's first team, all defensive team. He's all defensive team, first team. But he did that at the four. And during the course of the game, he plays the four and the five. Yeah, they slide him the over. Matter. They slide yep. him over. Okay. Now, Cleveland, clearly he's a very impactful player. Clearly, Mobley. However, we all know that he's going to be a better player probably two or three years from today because he's going to get stronger. He's going to be more assertive. He's going to fill up. You know, he's going to he's just going to be a better player because he's going to eventually that offense is going to catch up to his defense. And reps matter, right? I mean, being in those moments and learning what you can do and what you can't do. he, He is an elite elite NBA talent who is just a matter of time before if they're going to ascend to where they want to ascend to Donovan Mitchell was an all NBA player, right? But if they're going to win the championship, it's going to be because Evan Mobley is the best player. Think about that. You have an all NBA player on your team. You have a, you have two other all-stars on their team and, and Garland and Jared Allen, but the best player is the guy who's just kind of figuring it out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He's, he, he is a top, you know, I said it, that he's a top 7 to 10 player in the NBA, top 7 to 10 talent. If the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to ascend to where they want us into, it's because he's going to be the best player. I think to even a bigger degree, if that's even possible, that this kid, Wimbenyama, is going to need three to four years where we're going to have to figure it out and say, oh, that's his impact on the game. Because he's going to do things we've never seen. The only player that I can even begin to think what he would look like is our friend Ralph Sampson. That's the but the game Ralph came along too early before we knew what to do with him. Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't just stick him in there as a five. We couldn't just put him in as a four. You know, Biggs didn't shoot like shoot that. threes and do the things that they're doing now. So he was way, he was so far ahead of his time. We didn't know really what to do with him. Which goes back to the Steph Curry thing. You were saying sometimes it's perfect time for perfect, uh, exactly. perfect moment in time. Yeah. So I think we as fans are going to have to figure out 
what lens to watch him. Because when I watched Victor, I knew I was watching something that was totally different because the spacing on the floor was different. How teams can attack him will have to be different. How he will have to attack the game will be different. Everything about the type of players you're going to put around him to help him be the best version of himself are going to have to be different. So I think this is going to take time for everyone to figure out to say, oh, this is what it is. And then we'll figure it out. Now, think about this. You know, now we talk about Jordan, who in the modern era, right, is we consider him, if not the greatest, one of the greatest of the modern era, right? I happen to think he's the greatest of the modern era, right? Greatest without, who is the greatest player? Who knows? But what Mm -hmm. I do know is he was a very impactful player. He's the most impactful player of the modern era, right? You can make your argument however you want to make your argument. It took seven to eight years before they figured out how to do it with him. And who they needed around him to make it work. Okay. Because when you see something for the very first time, it's literally an experiment. It's literally like, well, you can't win with a a two guard who scores 30 points a game. It's never been done before. It's impossible. Now it's like, oh, Kawhi Leonard's done it. Kobe Bryant, late Kobe Bryant's done it. LeBron James has done it. Dwayne Wade has done it. You know, da, da, da. now we just say it like it's, and then we start arguing, oh, this guy's the greatest because and then you make <laughs> your whatever. Okay. What we do know is that when Jordan did it, no one hadn't done it before. Okay. That, that's, that's, so there, and it took some time to figure that out. Now you could say Dr. J, you could say Elgin Baylor. You can, you know, there's been some great players. Don't get Spencer Hayward. There's been some phenomenal Even players. Even like David Thompson, right, with the David ABA. Thompson, yeah. Yep. I mean, there's been. But no one's ever built, and they suddenly had a, you know, a length of time where they were the best at, you know, a decade or more. And that's certainly what Jordan did. And so it took seven, I think it was eight years, right? Yeah, 27 years. was his first title. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it took eight years to figure that out. And you don't just get these players. So when you see these players, and if, if at some point Victor is going to have to score, that's what these hybrid players do, right? Probably the best hybrid players have probably been Bird, Magic, LeBron, you certainly could put in there as a hybrid player, right? He mm-hmm. can bounce around and do a lot of different things. When you put these players in there, it takes a while. I mean, it took LeBron James a while, right? Before he won. So it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting partnership with the front office, with his teammates, with his coach, and with us, the fans, because we're into now, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're already like, oh, he's the greatest player right now. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's going to happen. Maybe it does. But I, 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 think, I think we're going to have to at least give him three years to figure that out. And, 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 and I'll say this last thing. You know, take the only thing I'm really concerned about is his size. Because we've never seen a man this size be able to play for a length of time. Okay. That, 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 and that's a real thing because that's a lot of mass. That's a lot of mass. 
and he's young. He, he's not like, you know, 25 or 26. I mean, he's still growing into this. I mean, he'll, he will easily put on 50 pounds throughout his career. Think yeah, about what that. What does that weight do on, you know, the yeah, extremities, think the about legs, that. knees, Think about that, like tape. that. You start off, like, you know, I'm thinking about it now. I like, I start out at 180 and then I finish my career at 230. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, he's going to put on a minimum of probably 40 to 50 pounds in his career. Just on natural maturity for a man that size. So I think it's important for him to take his time, for them to take his time. And then when he is ready, and if he can get past that three or four years with his physical maturity and the maturation process that's just going to happen naturally, I think he could, when you look back, you're going to say, wow. But you know, I don't know where the fan base is at because there's so much hype. But he seems very mature for a young kid, though. He seems very mature, and he's going to need that maturity because it's going to – I think the thing – a lot of times you got to get luck. You know, there, there's three things I think take, that you need to have, be a great player. You got to have timing. You got to have a little luck. And you got to have talent. Well, he, he's got all three, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? The timing of the for him to come into the league now, as compared to if he came in the league in the 80s or the 90s, that's it's better for him to come in now. Why? Because the game is you can he can run around a little bit now. If he was playing against Bill Lambeer and those guys, Rick Mahorn and those guys, <laughs> Truck Robinson, no hey, running around. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, no running yeah. around. Okay? I think he'd be on the floor a little bit more yeah. than he would want. So yeah. the timing is beautiful. And you need a little luck. Going to San Antonio. This? He's yeah. going to San Antonio and his first coach, his first entry. His introduction to the NBA, I feel I was lucky. My introduction to the NBA was a Hall of Fame coach named Phil Jackson. His introduction to the NBA will be a Hall of Fame coach named Greg Popovich. Well, that's just luck. Mm-hmm. And then you need a you need talent. Well, we're not arguing his talent. So I think he has all of the qualities that you need personally. The universe is lined up. And then, Tay, I think you and I are in for a treat. I mean, I'm excited. I'm so excited, Tay. I'm excited to go to Summer League because mm-hmm. I just want to see and say I saw him. I hope he plays. Oh, he's, he's, he's got to play. You, you, I mean, there's no, that's one thing, Tay, because you're a North Carolina fan. You can't skip the steps to greatness. You, you, you can't skip a step. Like, you may know what to do, but you got to do it. He's got to play. Why does he have to play? Because that's part of the steps. He's got to. He's got to. He's got to fall down. He's got to play bad. He's got to know that this league is difficult. This is a d- difficult league, and trust me on this, Tate. There are a lot of players who are ready to compete and get a rep versus mm. Victor Wimbanyama. And he has to be prepared for that mm. because I can tell you what's going to happen in those other locker rooms. Everyone's going to be trying to dunk on this kid. And he's got to meet this challenge. He's got to meet the energy of what the NBA is all about. There are 
not good athletes, phenomenal athletes and players. And he's got to, as you say, earn his stripes, take his bumps, take his lumps, lose so that he can appreciate what you saw Jokic do. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jokic said it beautifully. You know what? You got to lose. You got to learn how to lose. We don't want to lose. You saw Giannis say the same thing. Losing is the key to winning. Once you understand what losing is and how hard it is to win in that league, you appreciate it. But that's called responsibility. Mm. And so I, I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch him play. I, I just, it's going to be fascinating. More than him, I'm really fascinated to see the executives for the San Antonio Spurs, what they do. Like this to me is going to be a master's class on how to construct a team. And I'm interested to see what Pop is going to do because he's going to have to think out of the box. Mm. Yeah, this isn't a situation where Victor comes in and you put him at the five and you say, No, you you can't do that. You can't do that with him. You can't just say, put him at the five, like what they did with Ralph. You're going to have to, like, tonight's matchup, we may have to put him at the three. Tomorrow's matchup, he may be at the five. Right. And if Draymond's at the five for the Warriors, it might be a good matchup for him to be the five. But the other matchup might be we have to somehow put him at the four. Mm -hmm. He, Greg Popovich, I I would love to just be a fly on the wall for the coaches' meetings. I don't even want to watch practice. I just want to (laughs) see how you're going to prepare a player with this talent. Because you got to touch his talent. You got to you got to let him shoot threes. You 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 got to play up tempo, but you know if you're going to win, you got to be able to play in the half court. You got to let him be a rim protector. Well, what's the point of having a seven five guy if he's playing a three position and now he's just chasing guys off screens? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, say you have to allow him to touch every aspect of the game because he can do it. You got to let him play the point guard. Let me tell you, this guy handle is, I mean, this guy's dribbling the ball like a point guard. You yeah, got to let him seen, handle. Look, like, uh, I remember you were telling me a story about Dirk in Summer League, right? He was running the point guard, point you know? I mean, Don Dan Adebayo was, was running point guard in Summer Don League. Don Nelson had Dirk, Dirk Nowinski playing the point guard in the Utah Summer League. <laughs> and everyone was like, well, what's Nelly doing? And, you, and then, well, you're going to need that out of the box. Like, and and Nelly, I, talk about out of the box. Then Nelly drafts Steph Curry, says he's the best passer in the draft, and says he's a point guard, not a shooting guard. You, you, you if if you were looking at Steph Curry, and just said he's going to be a point guard, okay, I see why they drafted Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn, Ty and, Lawson. And, and, yeah, there was a bunch of guys. The, yeah. I see why they drafted those guys ahead of him. If you were just saying point guard, but if you started looking. At just the talent, you go, this guy can do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Like, he can shoot. He can pass. He can dribble. Da-da-da-da-da-da. And Victor, Victor, I, I think, will be great, great Popovich's greatest challenge as a coach. Mm-hmm. And it could be his greatest success if it all comes together. I mean, that that is the beauty well, of it. I, I mean, and who yeah. knows? But You got David Robinson. You got Tim Duncan, right? These are... 
I saw someone the other day said that if uh, Victor ended up having the career of David Robinson, that would be considered a failure. That's the most insane thing I've ever heard. That doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, uh, that would be an amazing career for anybody. And if Victor I mean, ends up yes. being a Hall of Famer, that's a win. I mean, if you, you guys are the guy, 50 greatest players of all time, you're going that that's a fail. No, <laughs> it's just we're going to have to. We all have to get our glasses and readjust our, our lenses now. Right. To watch him. Because, you know, we don't know what we're, we're looking at. Like, I would like to think my 30, 40, you know, I'm 55. I've been watching basketball for a long time. There's no comparison here. I'm just going to have to watch and, and learn. And, and then in 20 years, I'll tell you what I saw. Mm-hmm. So I, I am having the opportunity to watch him. I'm really I'm really like excited because I'm saying, okay, I'm gonna get a chance to learn something. And then you got another kid, Chet Holmgren, who didn't play this year. Mm-hmm. And I like Chet. So you're starting to see these Chet Holmgrims, Victor Wimbenyamas, Giannis's, Jokic, Embiid, and you know my dream. I want to start five seven footers. That's right. my dream. That, if you were if you were building a team right now, you would have five seven footers. I want, Victor I want would be five, the starting two guard. Victor would be my point guard. <laughs> See, oh see <laughs> Victor would be my point guard. <laughs> see, because you, you got it. Victor would be my point guard. Mm-hmm. Because I, okay. I, 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 and the reason I'm saying that is because, you know, like I was watching Spo and I was going, you know what would be really cool? You have a zone. Start, you start playing zone defense like, like, you know, Miami was playing. I just put Victor at the top of him. I'll just pass right over the top of it. Think about that. Mm-hmm. You just have like, a guy basically planted at the top, and then you it just pass right over the top. Yeah, yeah, it. right. Picking and popping, passing just, to whoever's you, open, back cutting, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, guys are in the post. He's just making entry passes to them. Yeah, just pass right <laughs> over the top of it. Like, okay, you're playing a zone. Like, like, think about this, Victor. And I learned this from Jokic. I first saw it with Shaq, but I learned it from Jokic. You can't double Jokic. With a small guy. He can't even see that guy. Like, I remember the first time we played against Shaq. And I always like to tell this story because Shaq could have seriously hurt me. My job was to double from the top down on Shaq. Mm-hmm. Help down. Yep. On, the, on, the, on, the, on, on the pass. Shaq was turning to the middle as I was running in a full sprint. And Shaq, for whatever reason, and I always thank him every time I see him, he was turning as I was running. So you could see the impact of how that could have turned out if he wouldn't have stopped. And he stopped. Okay. And Mama O'Neill, I owe her a hug because <laughs> if Shaq, who he, he, he is, you know, Shaq had a little dirty, nasty side to him. But he's a, a big teddy way. bear, really, yeah, at the end but of the he's day. A, but he's really he he's a he's a he he's a big guy, and most of these big guys they got they have a, they're kind souls, right? right. He's a, and thank goodness Shaq wasn't just a a grumpy dude. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he thank God he didn't have the lamb beer mentality. He could have yeah. seriously hurt me, and I'll never forget the timeout. Phil Jackson came to me, and one of the few times, maybe the only time he's ever apologized, he's like, you know what? I could have got you hurt on that play because Shaq was so big. Mm-hmm. Jokic is so big, he doesn't even see the double. That's why 
everyone's like, oh my gosh, how's he passing to the other side of the court? Well, he doesn't see the other guys because he's so big. Mm -hmm. You and I couldn't see over there because they would cut off our vision. This guy is seven five. He's four inches taller than this guy. So his court vision is going to be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. He's literally got a bird's eye view of what's going on. I, I, I just, you know, so I just think it's going to require whatever it is going to require to coach a guy like him, I think it's going to be off the charts. And, and I, and and I, and I think ahead. that's the, the story of this draft. It, it is Victor. It is all Victor. We're all going to be talking about Victor. It, it is so fascinating. Quickly before I, uh, we get out of here, I wanted to ask you just about the number two pick, right? Our, our, our right. guy, MJ, the Hornets, we got a new ownership right. coming in. He's going to keep minority ownership. You got Scoot Henderson, most people think is number two. You got Brandon Miller, and most reports have said that Brandon Miller will be the number two pick. You've been uh, you know, in the front office side. You've been on the agent side, obviously, right. with Derek as the number one pick. And you also told me a story once upon a time about the 1999 draft. I think you were still playing with the Bulls, but you were still talking in the front office. And there yep. was an evaluation between Elton Brand, who ends up going number one. And then there was another guy in the building, Ron Artest. And you said there was a conversation where it's like, one guy is the, the number one pick everyone says he is. But then there's this other guy. And he looks like he could be the number one pick, and he has the confidence of it and run our test. Now you have Miller, you have Scoot. They brought him back in on Monday. Apparently, right. you know, they they both had great workouts. What is that mindset? What's that process like to try to evaluate? You talked about evaluation, but trying to evaluate Ooh. what you need for yeah. fit versus, you know, potential uh player versus the, you know, the the talent that's there, the player that already is and what they could be. How hard is that decision to make? Yeah, well, it is. I I, I remember that draft. And Lamar Odom was, without question, the best talent of that mm -hmm. draft. He's really, Lamar Odom was in that draft. Yeah. Out of Rhode Island. Out of Rhode Island. Lamar Odom was without question. Like, when you saw Lamar, Lamar Odom was 6'10", without question, the best talent. Dribble, pass, shoot, do everything. Yeah. The fire was Ron Artest. Mm -hmm. Like, you saw the fire with him. Like, I mean, when you say compete, he was competing for every loose ball, every, you know, he just, he was a competitor. And Elton Brand was like the best player. When I say the best player, he wasn't the best talent, but he was the best player. Okay. I mean, in some regards, you know, was he the best shooter? No. Could he handle like Lamar? No. Could he defend like Ron? No. But you knew you were going to get 20 and 10 <laughs> at the end of the day. And you knew this guy, the consistency he was going to play. You just knew that. He's going to play physical, you know. So, and Elton had a great career. All three of those guys had phenomenal careers. You know, when you started looking at these players, and the one thing I learned working in the front office is regardless of position, draft the best player. Mm -hmm. And that's regardless. what Kupchak said. He said, we, 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 we're going to take the best player. Everyone, we don't care about fit. Everyone can talk about position. Well, we, we got, you know, LaMelo Ball, whatever. If Scoot is the most competitive and best player, take, take him. him. That's what I think. And then you figure out the rest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the one mistake I have I've seen 
over the years and it's been consistent is you start drafting for need. The Warriors, right? James Wiseman. They, they yeah. needed a big man and they bring in James Wiseman. That, that's the example, the more, more recent example. Not to say that James Wiseman is not a great player, I, I, I would but say for the this time in, they were trying to get a big, right? I would say this in James Wiseman's defense because I'm, 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 I'm sensitive to the bigs. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a great big without a great guard. And you have to play these young people. You can't get better if you don't play. Okay. James Wiseman came into an era. Okay. Again, I'm going to re, I'm going to just retract for a little bit. We said there has to be three things. If you're going to be the best, best version of yourself, you got to have timing. James Wiseman came into a league. Bad timing. Bad timing for a big, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they were all, they were all not just him. They were all devalued. Right. There, I mean, there were guys that are now playing like Bismack Biombo that couldn't even get a job. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> whether it's Bismack, Dwight Howard, you can go right. Boogie Cousins. Right. All these bigs were devalued because now we went to small ball. That's Marcus just what, all right. Bro, there was a bunch of guys. guys. Okay. It just happened to be bad timing for him that he comes into a situation. And we know this as NBA executives and NBA people. You don't win with inexperienced players. Mm-hmm. Does James Wiseman have talent? Absolutely. Was he the right pick? Absolutely. However, you can't try to win an NBA championship with an inexperienced player. Just, just bad timing. However, if you're going to draft one of these young players in the lottery, not a guy... If James Wiseman was drafted 18th, 19th, or 20th, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You would go, Man, that's a nice pick. Mm-hmm. Like Jalen Duran, right? I mean, yeah, it's yeah, a perfect yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. So you go, oh, that's a nice pick. Okay, there's no expectations. The difference is Jalen Duran in his first year has already played in more games the than James, James Wiseman. Yeah. Think about that. It's <laughs> crazy. Okay, it's crazy. Okay, so when I say pick the best player, you have to commit to developing that player. It just is what it is. Like, you can't pick Victor Wimbenyama and then say, well, we're, we're not going to play him. Well, how's he going to get better? You got to live with it. Unfortunately, or fortunately, James Wiseman's team was ready to win a championship. They just weren't ready to win a championship him learning on the job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? That's... There's the a trade-off. Are off. Yeah. Now, so whoever, but Charlotte, we're not expecting Charlotte to win a playoff, win a championship next year. At least no one's picking them to, myself included. However, pick the best player. Just whoever that is, pick the most competitive player and pick the best player. Because in the end, as you know, in the NBA, things change. Things change, right? Fast. I mean, look at look at the Pelicans, right? I mean, the Pelicans go from the darlings of the NBA. They make the McCollum trade. They have a nice little run in the playoffs. Everyone's forecasting them to be this, you know, future star. They have a, a star in right. Zion. They have Ingram. They have McCollum. They have Herb Jones. They have all these pieces. And now, because of other things that are going on, right now, now they're not, like you said, things change quickly, very quickly. In say, you know, just because you have a point guard or a two guard. And if the best player is that, get that player. Because there's two things you need in this league. You need talent 
and you need toughness. And let me tell you about Scoot. He's got a lot of talent, and he's got a lot of toughness. Mm-hmm. Okay? I agree. And that kid, Brandon Miller, that kid's got a lot of talent, and he's got a lot of toughness. Okay? The, the, the SEC is the second best league outside of the NBA in America. <laughs> okay? The, it, the SEC every year it, for like the last five or five yeah, years or about five years. Yep. They've had the best players in the nation play in the SEC. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. And he was hands down the best player in the SEC. So there's something there because he had to go down to Kentucky, Tennessee, all those places and play, and he performed at an elite level. So we'll see. We don't, we, we don't, I wish we had, you know, when you're saying, well, you can look at film, you can look, yeah, that only tells a piece of it. You got to talk to these kids. You got to put them in competitive environments. I would love to have seen how they just responded with both of them in the gym. I want to hear their answers. Mm-hmm. How did they respond when MJ walks in the room? Did mm-hmm. they still think they were the best player? Or when MJ walked in, they were, you know what I mean? <laughs> so all of these things will allow us to say, that's our guy. So there'll be a lot of speculation, but hopefully they get it right. Because what we do know is when you miss a great player, because they don't come around often, it can set your franchise back 10 years or more. Mm-hmm. I think both of them, just by looking at them from afar, would be good. But I don't know because I don't have an opportunity to meet them, talk to them, and do all the things that's necessary to properly scout them. But both of them are incredibly talented. And we'll see, what, tomorrow night? Yeah, we'll see tomorrow night who they choose. Yeah, tomorrow night. Like you said, I mean, 2012, the the Hornets or then the Bobcats had the number two pick. Yeah. They lose out on Anthony Davis. They, t- they take Michael K. Gilchrist, who by all accounts, five-star kid, number one player in his class. Right, all the, all the things, check all the boxes, didn't hit. Now we're a decade later, they're back in a similar spot and they're trying to make the right pick this time. And, right. uh, you know, good luck to Michael Jordan. I hope he can. I, uh, I will say this. Th- I want to say this. I think this draft. From about three to about 12, there's going to be great players, not good mm-hmm. players. I think there's going to be great players. There's some really, really fascinating players, because I think there are a number of players in this draft that could be number one picks if it wasn't for Victor. Right. And I think, I mean, even Scoot has said he thinks he should be the number one pick. And I like yeah, that I, confidence. I, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I think there are number players who under different circumstances, and you know, it's all about timing, right? Gotta have a little luck. If Victor wasn't there, they would be considered the number one pick. Maybe Amin Thompson, right? I mean, it's it's good for your it's good for our guy Detroit Weaver, uh, Troy Weaver up in Detroit. Yeah. I mean, yes. Troy Weaver at the fifth pick, depending on what happens in front of you, who knows? Yeah, the, the the and I will say this: Victor will be the number one pick, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone else is rookie of the year, just because you know we don't know. You know, Victor's like his body, like we don't know how that's going to just hold up. Like, is will he be able to play 24 to 30 minutes a night in year one? You hope so. If that is the case, hey, I think he's hands down. But I don't know why, because I haven't seen that before at his age. Yep. 
Think about that. We've never seen a player at his age be able to withstand an 82-game schedule or 82-game season, plus hopefully playoffs. Now, he may be the first, but we've never seen a man at his size. So this will be a lot of firsts for all of us, but I think there's going to be some really great players. I know we're focusing on the top, but I really think Tate, three, three to 12, you're going to get a great players. You're going mm-hmm. to, there, there are going to be some great players in there. I mean, all-star caliber, but maybe some Hall of Fame talents. Right. Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of names you could throw mm-hmm. in there that, that'll probably be in the mix. It's going to be a great draft. Uh, BJ, I know you'll be watching. I know you'll be keeping up with everything that's going on. I think that uh, the, the one thing that I want to flag, I, I think Derrick Rose's MVP year at 22 is still one of the most amazing things I've watched. And obviously that was during my basketball timeline. I wasn't alive when Magic Johnson won a championship as a rookie, but we've seen great rookies and, and great young players in this league flourish and figure it out. And they were ahead of their timelines. I'm fascinated to see what happens with Victor Wimbanyama. I know we all are. We'll all be watching. So that's all great stuff. Uh, BJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank we'll you. have you back and uh, you know we'll break down everything that's happening in the NBA and beyond. And hopefully I'll see you at Summer League when we get oh, done. Oh, absolutely. There. I'll be there. Appreciate you, Tate. All right, there you have it. BJ Armstrong, always the best. Always appreciate his uh his his detail, his uh his stories and uh as Kyle has pointed out to me before, BJ could talk all day. So uh you know, we appreciate his time. Um I can talk basketball with BJ all day. So that's that's where we stand on that. So look, it's been a great episode. It's been a nice lead into the NBA draft. Um let's get into shout-outs here because we don't have too much time. Kyle's got to get prepared for a flight back to Los Angeles, but um first and foremost, want to shout out the ringer.com um, again, go check that out. They got a lot of NBA draft coverage you need to see, especially KOC's draft guide, all good stuff. Um, shout out to myself and KOC. Bill Simmons, the boss man, has asked us to watch the NBA draft with him and break down what's happening um, and doing a, kind of a rapid reaction show with him tomorrow night, Thursday night after the NBA draft. Um, so go check that out. That's going to be a fun one. I'm excited for that. Um, first time I've been uh, you know, around Bill for an NBA draft since... I believe 2019, so uh, about four years, so a full college, uh, you know, experience between those two times, and uh, I actually know a whole lot more than I did before, Kyle. Before I was flying by the seat of my pants, and I'm not saying that I'm not flying by the seat of my pants, uh, you know, all the time here, but uh, you know, sometimes I do know a little bit, and uh, this time I feel more prepared for what's ahead. Uh, so shout out to too. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So shout out to BS for that. Um, shout out to your guy, our guy, the Ringers guy, Ryan Rosillo. Uh, sold out a live show in New York City at the Grand Mercy Theater. Also had one of the greatest moments in uh, basketball media history. He's obviously been a long-suffering Chris Paul fan. He's done his best to stick his neck out for one of the best point guards we've ever seen. And Chris Paul shows up last night, comes to Ryan Rousseau's live show, one of the greatest daps and hugs I've ever seen, Kyle. What was that moment like in the building? Because, I mean, just watching it on the internet, I, I was floored by it. I was moved by it. Um, I may have even shed a no Sean Marino tear when I saw it. I mean, four backpats. Come on, who gets four backpacks? <laughs> I mean, I've never seen I've never seen anything like it. The, the last time I saw that many backpacks, it was like a kindergartner patting himself on the back. You know what I mean? Playing Simon Says. It was, uh, it was beautiful. You can um, feel it. It looked. It looked like a great time, though, right? I mean, you you guys sold out, and the crowd was going crazy, and uh, and Chris Paul, I mean, just got traded, so he's one of the he's he's one of the main people people want to talk to in the world of basketball. So shout out to Ryan, what a get! He was a mystery guest too. You know, we were 
Ryan had thought, you know, we let the cat out of the bag like a week or two ago, and then he realized that nobody knew. So he was like, you know, we've always said who our guest was going to be in the last live shows, but he was just like, God damn it, I really can't believe this is still under wraps. So, I mean, nobody knew who it was. People were guessing in the crowd and asking me, you know, who's it going to be? They thought, be like, oh, big cat. Like, we were just, you know, kind of phone it in. Like, who's in New York that we could pull right. in here? But, yeah, they didn't think that it would be like a Chris Paul sort of thing. So, I mean, when he when he stepped out, that was probably the, one of the biggest roars I've heard at one of our shows. So that was that was it was a moment. It was a major moment. And uh, I think the odds on favorite was J.J. Reddick. So uh, he really missed out on this one. It was great to see Chris Paul. Great to see a Wake Forest guy, North Carolina guy. I even texted you. I was so moved by it. So shout out to Rosillo. That was great. Um, shout out to Kevin Clark. He oh, showed right. up there. He showed up. Yeah. There. He's a New York guy now. And J we got Jim into the show. And God, oh, God, when those two are together, it's like the snarkiest snark off. It's like they've got like material. They've been saving up for each other. It was I mean, it was a thing to behold. Yeah, it's like uh, in South Park when the George Clooney smug cloud is like fire, like flying over the city. Uh, you know, like that is Jim Cunningham as he walks into a New York building. He is uh, it is if he owns it, as if he is the landlord, is it is if he licensed the theater out to Ryan Rosillo. He said he went there with a lady friend and uh, had a great time with uh, with your lovely wife, Lana, as well. So basically I, snuck her in, too. <laughs> yeah, she was well, not on that, the list. That <laughs> is like, the most works for Spotify and they just got her in. Uh, it was uh, it was. I had asked and, you know, the Elizabeth who who runs our thing was like, you know, hey, we have minus like 11 tickets. There's nobody there's nobody else getting in here. And I told him that and he just showed up at the door anyway. And he was like, hey, she works for Spotify, which she does uh, randomly. And um, they were just like I remember she was in the middle of something and, and uh, she was about to like have Ryan go on stage and. And one of the venue people were like, excuse me, Elizabeth, there's somebody here who says they work for Spotify. And she looks at me and I was like, I'm so sorry. And she goes, standing room only. And then just leave and runs off. So Jim got her in, you know, persistence. Good on you. Jim Cunningham, uh, not afraid of bringing a plus one to anything. So shout out to him uh, and, and does it without asking. Right. You know what I mean? He asks forgiveness, not permission. One. Yeah, that is uh, that is a rule that he lives by. So shout out to him. Um, yeah, it looked like a great event. And shout out to Elizabeth. I mean, I went to the last live show. Uh, I think the Ringer Hell, which is the, the Verno, um, you know, KOC mismatch show. That was a great time in Los Angeles. So. Shout out to the ringer. You know what I mean? A lot of people want to talk about podcasting and live shows. Who wants to go to these shows? Turns out a lot of people do. And uh, they have a great time and we've had great guests. And shout out to Elizabeth for doing such a great job. That's always great. Um, again, this is NBA draft week. So I wanted to shout out the Blue Bloods uh, because the schools with the most first round draft picks. Shout out to Kentucky. I know we uh, we've talked bad about Kentucky, not bad about Kentucky, but we talked about the Aaron Bradshaw mystery. The last show I had some big blue nation people in my mentions that were upset about this. They were like, there ain't no mystery. He's going to be playing. So I hope that's the case. Um, but shout out to them. This is uh, on a good note. They have 57 first round draft picks all time. That is the most all time of any team. North Carolina at 53 Duke at 53 UCLA at 40 Kansas at 35. That is another confirmation of those are the five blue bloods. That That's the starting five. Just want to make sure that everyone knows that put it out. Out there shout out to them for everything um there's another shout out that i wanted to say before we get out of here because again the, the clock is ticking kyle's getting ready to go to los angeles fly back here we're gonna have an in-person show on monday but shout out to all the people that have had some decency when it comes to the submarine situation i know it's God everywhere damn. i saw it on the local news uh this morning there was some banging apparently that was um you know picked up by some some sonar device that they put down there that is the most terrifying 
thing that I have ever heard of. I, uh, I understand irony. I understand that, you know, there is some, you know, layered comedy in there with going to see the Titanic on some extreme tourism, adventure tourism. I mean, adventure tourism is a huge thing, right? Lots of rich people pay to get taken up to the top of Mount Everest, right? Because they want to tell the story. This is what rich people do. We get it. Um, but to say that you want people to die because they are rich is insane. I've never seen anything like this, Kyle. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to say first and foremost, uh, Sending good vibes. I, I hope that there is a happy ending to the story. I don't know if there will be, um, but the, the jokes, leave the jokes. I know everybody wants to be a comedian now. Um, and, you know, myself included sometime on this pod, sometimes on this podcast, right? We want to be funny. Everyone want, wants to make a joke. But, uh, man, this is that just sounds terrifying. And the idea of knowing how much time and how much oxygen you have left and being two miles um, under the sea. And I think a, a perfect like relevancy point that I heard was basically this. Is, there's been more people in space than have been this deep in the ocean. So, so I mean, I, I'm a space guy, not a sea guy. The sea scares me way more than space does, um, despite, you know, what most people would think. But to be two miles underneath the water in this ship with just a Logitech controller that apparently is not working or, or being stuck to the Titanic at some I don't know. All of it's crazy. It's it's an insane story. It's everywhere, though. Like I watch the local news in the morning and I watch it at night because I'm basically an old man at this point. And that's all they're talking about. They're bringing in the experts. Um, and I've seen a lot of tweets, as I said, but uh, we we, we got to chill out. You know what I mean? Sometimes we got to just got to take a beat. And uh, we I'm just hoping that hoping for the best, even the sun going to a Blink 182 concert and everyone like dying, laughing about it. This is insane, Kyle. Um, <laughs> I've never been so floored by a whole story. And meanwhile, I'm I'm just terrified for, at the idea of it all. Um, so just wanted to say that shout out to, to the people that have kept their human decency. We respect you tip of the cap. The people that have, uh, have tried to make a, a comedic career out of this. We see you as well. Stop it. Calm down. Um, do what yeah, you gotta that do. Gonna but, be your pin tweet or something. You're going to be the I, guy. That's what, it's, to, like, come on. It, it's what it seems like. It seems like we're like an America's got talent and everyone's trying to get their one joke off. You know what I mean? Like the killer wells have been a part of this, right? They brought them in. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a lot of commentary that uh, that I think is a bridge too far because again this is the most terrifying setup um, I have ever heard of like Triangle of Sadness the movie that just came out uh, in this last Oscars run you know that won last year can that movie with the shipwrecked you know cruise line I mean that's terrifying enough right and they go to an island they don't know where they are but then turns out they're in civilization um, but that's terrifying enough but the idea again two miles underneath um you know in the middle of the sea but you know i i don't i i i don't even know what to say with that but all i can say is my god let's keep our decency here um kyle any more shout outs uh from you before we get out of here i know you're coming back to la i can't wait to see you um are you doing bill's show tomorrow night or are you gonna be are you gonna be here for that oh, oh yeah wow. we're they're trying to just dis- dis- figure out if it's going to be an in the office situation a bill's house situation or at home he basically sent us a text i think you're on he was like just basically don't do anything tomorrow just be ready at all times so it's right you know, it's it's just that it comes with the territory i'm ready for it um so glad i'm taking uh you know i'll be in at like nine instead of like you know 1 a.m or something so uh so I'm good with that. Shout out to uh, Stefan Anderson, the other Poughkeepsie kid here at The Ringer. He's the one who produced the the uh, the live show last night so I could, you know, fuck off and hang out. So thanks for that. Um, it's really uh, amazing. We just we just talked for like 20 minutes about Poughkeepsie and uh, God damn it, there's nothing better than that. So shout out to him. Thank you. Way taller than I thought. Uh, handsome dude. So uh, really good to put a face to the name. 
Yeah, he sent me a nice text. I think he was supposed to do One Shining Podcast, or at least was going to help uh, when you were, you know, still on vacation post-wedding. So shout out to him, uh, you know, picking up the load there. Shout out to the Poughkeepsie boys. They know what they're doing. They know how to handle audio. We appreciate that. And uh, appreciate all the people that have listened to One Shining Podcast. Again, we got the NBA draft tomorrow. A lot of ringer coverage. Go check it out. It's all great. I will be on KOC show Beyond the Arc um, talking about the NBA draft. I also will be on Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. That will come out later today uh, on Thursday talking about the NBA draft, doing some prop bets and things like that. And I'm also going on Carrie Champion show um, on Amazon Prime got today. Got the invite uh, back. Good for you. I, yeah, right. I mean, I, I'm all over the place, Kyle. A lot of people asking me questions. I think they just want to put the blame on me, right? If, if some of these players don't work out, they're like, that guy said he was going to be good. Because again, nobody knows, right? You can forecast and try to figure it out, but nobody really knows. Because as BJ told us, you can never measure the, the, the heart or the mind of a man. You just have to guess and hope that they really are who they say they are or project themselves to be. And you hope that they can stay that way because things happen in life. It's a whole lot. It's a crapshoot. Uh, but somehow Jerry West, Pat Riley, Mitch Kupchak, all these guys seem to figure it out more times than not. Again, this is One Shining Podcast. Appreciate it. everyone listening and tuning in. And we will be back on Monday. See you then.